As we jump into week three of our study of the book of James, let me begin with a question. Have you ever been put on the spot in a moment that you did not expect to be in the spotlight or the focal point? This might take you back to a moment or moments where you were in school or you're assigned a group project and after a brief time, the teacher calls on your group and you are thrust into the moment of being the presenter. Maybe this was a work environment where you plan to give guidance on a project but not take the lead and then suddenly you discovered you are the lead in the presentation. This past Monday, I had a moment just like this. I went to a meeting with Matt Bryant, our executive pastor in Greensboro. And it was a gathering of pastors. About 20 churches were there. They were represented by pastors or associate pastors. And it was clear when we walked into the meeting that there was a a head table where three pastors who were the presenters would be sitting. And they would be leading the conversation about church revitalization and church planting. We were there to learn. The three pastors at the head table, they each gave their stories. And then the overall organizer called on another church, their pastor, to share uh, their experience regarding this topic. Then the missionary leader, the presenter of the day, the facilitator, looked at me and said, We've invited Michael Bowers, who's not in our association, to share about their experience with, and he named our work with First Baptist Church of Thomasville. Michael, would you please summarize this process for us, if you don't mind? I could not say in that moment, well, actually, I do mind. I couldn't say, I'm not prepared for this presentation. I said, sure, no problem. So in three minutes, I summarized a church revitalization, a pandemic, all in three minutes. But in my head and my heart, I was thinking, I just wanted to come sit and learn. I just wanted to gain some wisdom from the wise leaders around the table. I just came here to exist. But I was called upon to take action, to contribute, to hopefully, maybe, impact the conversation? As we turn back to the book of James today, may I remind you that James is writing to a group of followers of Jesus who have been scattered in various cities and various communities. I don't believe for a moment that James is writing this letter as a self-help book or to just pass on some knowledge nuggets where we only learn from the letter. Rather, he's writing to people that he desires to be people of action. James is writing to a group of people who needed encouragement, who needed instruction, who needed reminders. Not so they could sit around and learn about their faith only, but to remain people of action. James is preparing people to impact the community, not to simply exist in the community. And 2,000 years later, we must read this letter, looking at it from above. We must allow it to examine us, grow us up, lead us to life, and know that it is preparation. James is not writing to say, grow up, then sit around and just share your stories with those in your group. The early church, nor the continuation of the early church, that's us, followers of Jesus, must take in the wisdom of James and the rest of God's word, grow up, 
run towards life, and then through those things, be prepared to impact our community rather than simply exist. Rich Fork, may our study of James lead us to impact our community rather than exist in our community. So what does that look like? It means in all of our lives, wherever God has planted us, whatever relationships we are a part of, that we have a purpose to be Jesus. I read this quote this week and it just blew me away. It said, the world does not need more explanations about Jesus. The world needs more examples of Jesus. The bottom line is our study of James is to be one which leads us to impact over simply existing. Impact over existence. With that in mind, let us pray as we continue our study today. God, may we examine these words, these next few verses for this week, for this time, for this moment, for our lives, for our relationships, and may it lead us to action. May it lead us to impact the people around us. James is pouring out his heart in this letter to people that have a heritage and a background like his, who have experienced persecution, some even greater than him, but all of them have been impacted because they have followed Jesus. He encourages them, he instructs them, and he says, let's be people of action. Let's impact the world that God has placed us. So God, as we dive into week three of James, may we not simply do so so that we become more knowledgeable of your word, but we become doers in Jesus' name. Amen. Now keep that thought tucked into your mind throughout the entire study of the book of James. It is to lead us to action, to impact over existence, to growing up. With that in mind, let's move into today's message from our friend James. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, which whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Today's passage has a bookend of reminders of James in this desire for growing us up, his passion for maturity versus immaturity, his heart cry for life over death. Verse 12 speaks of our life in Christ. 
and having life. Verse 17 and 18 bookend this passage and they speak of our identity in our relationship through Jesus Christ. They are bookend verses of life and hope, but sandwiched in the middle is a tremendous warning for us to turn our attention toward for the rest of our morning. In our pursuit of spiritual maturity, there is an enemy. And that enemy, it's not kind. It is not honest. In fact, in 1 Peter, the enemy, Satan, is described this way, but also there's a reminder of the grace of God and life in this passage. 1 Peter tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Jesus acknowledges himself that the enemy, Satan, the devil, very bluntly, when Jesus says this in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So as we pursue spiritual growth, as we attempt to grow up, we must know that there's an enemy and his desire is death. Spiritual death in our walk with Christ, death in our relationship, death to forgiveness towards others, death to hope in the midst of depression and anxiety and doubt, death when we face trials of various kinds. So out of love, let me place this in front of you bluntly. Until we realize and until we accept that the enemy desires to kill any and all life in us, around us, and through us, then we will continue to treat temptation as a six-week-old little kitten that purrs when you rub its little nose and a little kitten that's cute and cuddly and you snuggle it up beside your neck for a little nap. Instead, the picture from Jesus and Scripture is that the enemy we face, Satan and his lies, are not that of a kitten but of a full-grown lion. And his desire... Make no mistake about it, is not to be your friend, it is to kill you and place you on a path where your decisions and your actions lead to spiritual loneliness, to brokenness, to a path of death. That is the enemy you face daily. And we must keep that thought in front of us so that when we examine temptation, desire, lust, and growing up, we realize temptations are real. Desires are personal. Sin has consequences. And death is the desired outcome by our enemy. If you and I don't take this warning seriously from Scripture, from James, and even from Jesus himself, then our upcoming discussion in the next few moments will be fruitless. I read about a man this week who was working hard to lose weight on a diet. And so one morning he woke up and he was struggling with the thought of it. And as he traveled to work, as he did every day, he, he passed and was about to pass a conveniently located donut shop. 
At first he thought, I'll just go in for a good cup of coffee. And then he prayed, Lord, if you want me to stop for coffee and maybe for a donut, then there'll be a parking place right in front of the shop. Right in front. The story goes on, sure enough. He says, you wouldn't believe it, but I found a parking spot right in front on the seventh time around the block. The honest reality is that we want to be free of temptation, yet we cling to it, we hold on to it, we touch it, we keep it close by. But James is going to say, to grow up in our faith, we must become honest about temptation. To grow up in our faith, we must become serious about resisting temptation. Because to grow up in our faith, we must constantly remind ourselves of the path of temptation, which leads to sin, that it will take us to immaturity and death. So the question I would want to challenge you to explore today and as we finish our time together is which path are you on? The path toward life or the slippery slope toward death? Now, before we examine the very deliberate examination of one of these two paths presented by James, we have to explore verse 13. And James is making sure that we cast off any excuses when we sin. One of the biggest struggles we have when we sin is that we don't want to admit it. We are professionals at playing the blame game, pushing our sins, our decisions off on someone else. And our, one of our favorite places to pin our sins, well, the devil made me do it. The second that existed from creation till now is, well, God's responsible for my sinful choices. James addresses this. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God, cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. James is confronting a question that has stood the test of time for people all over the world. Where does evil come from? Did the devil make me do it? What about God? It's obvious the question was being asked during his era that he was living or else he would not have addressed it. But the question and the response to his question have been ongoing since the moment that sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve in the garden, when Eve is tempted, she takes the fruit, she eats. Adam is close by, he eats the fruit as well. And then the blame game begins after God essentially asks, did you eat of the tree of which I told you not to eat? Genesis chapter three tells us, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is, the, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Essentially, God is posing to man and woman, where'd you get this idea? Adam says, she did it. Eve says, the devil made me do it. Sounds like me. Maybe you. But James is going to be very quick, very profound very simple, very clear. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. 
James is not trying to hide what the remainder of Scripture teaches us about the holiness of God. Does God use trials and troubles to mature us? Yes. We saw that last week. Does God allow trials to come toward us? Yes. Read the book of Job. Is God holy and without sin? Yes. God is holy. God is perfect. And while He allows trials and grows us up through those difficulties, He does not create evil. The truth is, if we want to get to the heart of this matter, we must stop casting blame on others for our sinful decisions. Proverbs 19.3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. We must own up to this fact of life. As we walk through this passage today, and as we step out into our lives, I am responsible for my own actions, good or bad. No one makes me do things. Let me repeat. I am responsible for my own actions, good or bad. No one makes me do things. Tempted? Yes. Trials? Yes. Influence? Yes. But I am responsible. A large facet a, a pillar of examining temptation and sin is taking responsibilities for our actions and making decisions that lead us to life, not immaturity and death. Today in James, he's going to outline this process, this process, this cycle, this slippery slope to sin. Verse 14 and 15, chapter one, but each person, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The wording from James is not confusing. It's not layered in religious uh, analogies or even giant theological concepts, although they're there. It's written for every follower of Jesus Christ then and now to grab a hold of. As we keep asking, which path are you on? James shows us the path towards sin and death. Let's walk through this cycle that he gives us. First, he says there's the desire. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The word for desire here is the word lust. To have a strong desire for something or someone. This is temptation. Temptation is not sin. We are all tempted every single day. But then on this slope of sin, there is deception. This is when the desire, the object, the thought, the action becomes something we begin to justify, to pretend it away. We, myself included, we, we lower in our mind somehow the impact of the consequences of this temptation and sin. We explain it away. This cycle of desire and deception is unique, James says, to each one of us. James says, you are enticed by your own desires. The terms lured and enticed are hunting terms. But the picture is clear even for those of us who don't hunt or don't fish. 
But you know this, if you want to catch a specific fish, you use a particular bait. If you want to hunt for deer, you put out corn or apples. You, you dress a certain way. You study the habits. You have cameras and you go where they are and you set up feeders and you're ready for them when bow season opens. Let's be honest. How much more Davidson County can James get for us right here? I'm thankful that when addressing temptation, that God's word does not dance around the subject. It says, you have desires, I have desires. One of us may be tempted by pride. The next, your passion for possessions. The next, your passion for lust and self-satisfaction. Another is being tempted to lie or to deceive. The enemy knows the algorithm for each of us. Algorithm, that word is not a word that I grew up hearing outside of the subject of math. Don't worry, we're not going there. But an algorithm is a process. It's a set of rules to be followed or calculations in problem solving. Again, we're not talking about math. But algorithm, algorithms are used every day in your life. Every day with your device, your phone, your Siri, your Alexa, your Google Helper, they're all working this set of processes to put in front of you this algorithm to put in front of you the coupon, the sale, the item that is the desire of your heart, not mine. Even if you don't use your phone or online shopping, even if you still get a newspaper delivered to your home on a Sunday morning or pick one up, the ads for Davidson County are different from Randolph County and there are times that even within a county are different. Why? How? Because there are people who are putting all this information together and systems that are calculating our spending habits. Now, why tell you all of that? Well, let me tell you one of my experiences. I was recently dreaming about a Tesla. Some of you may know what that means. It's an electric car. Judge me if you want, but don't stop listening, all right? The next week, the next week, I get an email for me from a company that's producing an electric SUV and truck. Was that magic? Nope. Desire? Yes. Enticement? Yes. Temptation? Yes. Until I saw the price. But this enticement led me and my son to talk about this new vehicle uh, late on Wednesday night when I should have been disconnecting from my computer, from my devices, so that I could rest. But here's what happened. I opened my computer to show my son this really nice, shiny vehicle, the algorithm that brought this to me. I then checked my email because I was there in front of my computer. And then I started answering emails. And oh, by the way, I needed to figure out next week's calendar. And this time that I had allotted for rest was gone because a set of numbers and a set of pictures online connected me to my desire, not yours. It didn't send me a picture for a four-wheeler or a deer stand, nor did it show me the latest makeup ad or craft idea. Are you getting it? Do you see how profound James is? The enemy knows, calculates, puts together our desires, our temptation, he processes, puts together this algorithm and produces the temptation that affects you. And then the deception begins. And at this point, we're on the path. 
We have an opportunity on this path to resist, but many times we fall to disobedience. James says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. Temptation gives birth to sin. James' temptation leads to action in this moment, away from life, away from joy. And if we remain in the cycle, if we repeat and we resist repentance, then disobedience, sin leads to death. And death, James says, and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is clearly not speaking about physical death as the destination to this path, but more a trajectory or a path to be taken. Jewish readers in AD 45, the listeners to this letter 2,000 years ago, they viewed the concept of being dead more spiritual than physical. They viewed it as a poor quality of life as a result of poor decisions. A few verses from outside of James help us grasp this teaching of James. Proverbs chapter 12, in the path of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death. Also, In Proverbs, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. In death, gone are the signs of life, vitality, joy, freedom, fruit of the Spirit. Enter death, no peace, guilt, shame. Relationships are impacted and even wonder and joy dissipates the longer we entertain our sin and allow it to impact us. Remember, our enemy has a plan. It's death. Death to all of our hope, joy, peace, and anything that resembles and brings life. If you want to spend some time as a follow-up to today's message, reading a tragic picture of this cycle this progression into sin, and jot down the reference of 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the story of David. The cycle of sin that leads not only to his downfall as king, but it destroys his kingdom. It ends up with his own son hunting him. But how does it start? With a glance, with a look. He's enticed, he sins. And it leads to physical and spiritual death. It's painful to even read this passage. May I simply state as a sermon point that James summarizes. I'll quote James for a sermon point here. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Which path are you on? Toward life? Toward death? Toward maturity? Or immaturity? But I don't want to drop you off at this point and and just leave you searching. You might be saying, "I, I am being tempted. I am on the path toward death. What now? Let me walk you through a few things. Choose the path follow the promises, and trust your position in Jesus Christ. Choose the path, follow the promises, trust your position in Christ. 
Now I'm going to ask you to hang on tight. I'm going to fire scripture at you quickly. Don't worry. We're going to give you a way to receive all these scriptures and notes to your phone or device later on. Choose the path. Follow the promises and your position in Christ. The first scripture I want to share with you is this. Every good gift from James and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of life, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Your position, your relationship to God through Jesus Christ is a cherished creation, and he desires to lead you through trials toward life. Pursue the promise and the power for discipline and growth. First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Corinthians tells us, flee from flee and trust God to provide a way to life. And choosing the path, following the promises in your position, we must choose this path. Tells us in 1 Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Later in Corinthians, it says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. One pastor said, as I read this week, regarding 1 Corinthians 10 and our temptation, focus and flee. Focus and flee. We also must pursue what will keep you on the path of life. If we want to be on that path of life, we must pursue what will keep you on that path. Scripture tells us, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4.8. How can a young man keep his way pure? Scripture asks in Psalm 119, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Again, a psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We must choose the path. We must pursue life. We must trust in our position in Jesus Christ. And a part of that, allow the past to be the past. Trust God with the future. Brothers, that I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards to what lies ahead.
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul gives those words to the church of Philippi, but he also says to the believers in Rome, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. James is leading us to grow up, not beat us up. And in doing so, we must remind ourselves that while we sin, he is faithful to forgive us. Not once, not twice, but over and over and over. There's some of you that are watching this. You can't imagine the path of life because you've been beaten up by your sin. You maybe find yourself unwilling to confess it because you're fearful of a holy God, but no, His mercy and His grace are there to pick you up, pull you close, lead you to a path that leads to life, to forgiveness and healing. Let the past be the past. Choose the path, follow the promises, and trust your position in Christ. The last words for you today, don't feed the lion. What I mean by that is don't pretend you don't have temptations. Don't try to present the pursuit of the path of life when you're sprinting towards death. The enemy prowls around in deception, seeking a desire to cling to, to entice you, to lead you to death. First John says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Don't feed the lion. Don't lie about your path that you're currently on. May we take this action-oriented warning from James and this host of scriptures today and pursue the path of life, not death. So again, the question for you, the question for me to examine today and tomorrow and not simply during our study of the book of James, which path are you on? Life or death? Temptation has a pattern, a cycle, that leads to deception, disobedience, and death. But God's word and his promises deliver us to life and hope and mercy. Will you take a step today on the path to life? Would you pray with me? God, I pray for those who are watching this online and whatever location they're in, whatever situation they're in. I pray that they, they know that they can be honest with you. At the end of my prayer, they can bow their heads and they can say, God, I am way down a path towards death. I've made, I've been tempted, I've been enticed. I've had desires, I've been deceived, I've been disobedient, and I... Every day, my relationships, my finances, my work, my peace, 
feels heavy and broken and dead. God, may they know that you are a God who is faithful to forgive us of our sins. Know that they can trust in Jesus as their Savior. And He will be faithful to forgive. God, I know there's also many that are watching who have said, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm, I'm standing at the edge of a decision of temptation and a path that leads to life or a path of death. I pray that the scriptures that we walk through at the end today, the promises, the path, the position that they have in and through Jesus Christ will lift them, will pick them up and lead them down a path that leads to life. And may the relationships that they form here, if they are present, may the relationships they have around them lead them down the path of life. May we not pretend that we are not tempted. May we not pretend that we do not sin. May we cling that you will forgive us. And may we not pretend that the enemy is cute and cuddly and desires life. May we keep the reality that the enemy's desire is death. But you promise life more abundantly. Thank you for the hope, even in the warning. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I posed a ton of verses to you uh, throughout our time of teaching. If you would like to get a few of our sermon notes and the references and a few questions for you to follow up with, maybe uh, on your own, maybe with your family, uh, while you're sitting around the table, maybe with your small group, uh, we've made this as easy as we can. It'll be on our website uh, this weekend, but also if you just want to text um, to the phone number. The phone number uh, is 94000. That's the number. I know it's not 10 digits. Those five digits, 94000 and the word James Guide. One word, gotta be one word. It doesn't matter. It's not case sensitive. James Guide to 94000. And we would love to put some of these scriptures and these promises about your position and your life in Christ in your hands today. Take a second, reach out to us, 9400, James God. We'd love to see you in person when you're comfortable, but until that time, thank you for following us online.